This morning we continue in Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin this morning at verse 17 and read through to the end of the chapter in verse 38. Let us first turn to the Lord in prayer, asking the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inerrant, infallible word. Let's pray together. Almighty, gracious Father, the true understanding of your holy word helps us to grow into the fullness of the salvation you so freely offer in Christ. And as you promise that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish your purposes, we ask that your word would move now among us with power. Grant to all of us that our hearts being freed from worldly affairs may hear and grasp your holy word, with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, live by it with all earnestness, to your praise and honor and glory, through Jesus our Lord we pray, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 17 through 38, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, hear the word of the Lord, it is written. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. In every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own precious blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, yet 
or you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our passage this morning is unique in the book of Acts, for it represents the only recorded speech in all of Acts addressed directly to the Christian community. Now, obviously, there are many other speeches. There are sermons and defenses of the Christian faith recorded in Acts, but all of them are delivered to non-believers, both Jew and to Gentile. But this speech is directed only to the Christian community, which is why you might notice it sounds like it has the themes of what Paul writes in his epistles. The fact that this is the only recorded speech addressed to the Christian community hints to us of its importance. We should want to know what God has to say to us in this passage But this speech spoken in Miletus isn't just spoken to Christians. More specifically, it is spoken to the elders of the church in Ephesus. On his way to Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul decided, as we are told in verse 16 of this chapter, to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. And perhaps Paul was concerned about stirring up difficulty in Ephesus for the church there, or perhaps he knew that if he went to Ephesus, he would have a great time, great difficulty pulling himself away. And this would have delayed his travels, and we're told that Paul is attempting to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. Regardless, while Paul was stopped for a few days in Miletus, a mere 30 miles from Ephesus, he sent word for the elders from the church in Ephesus to come and to to meet with him, knowing that he would probably never see them again. And so this is a a farewell speech. Paul didn't want to miss this opportunity to give the Ephesian elders some final words of encouragement some final words of wisdom to charge them to be faithful to their ministry. Therefore, it is well worth our hearing from Paul on this matter. But before we do, I I need to note uh, uh, just a few things. There are actually several different words and images used to address the elders here. We see the word elders, presbyteros in the Greek in verse 17. This is where we get our word Presbyterian. We are Presbyterians because we are governed by elders, just as the tribe of Israel was led by elders. So too is the new Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. This word is in the plural here, revealing that 
the leadership of the church in Ephesus was a team of elders who together were responsible for the work of ministry. This is exactly what we have seen in Acts, and also we see this in Paul's epistles. Everywhere churches were established, elders, plural, were raised up and appointed to lead the church. We shouldn't miss here then that the New Testament model given to us for leadership in a local church is a plurality of elders. This is the biblical form of church leadership. It is Presbyterian in nature. In verse 28, we have the word overseers. This word is episkopos in the Greek. Sometimes this is translated as bishop. It's where we get our word episcopal from. It's a form of government led by bishops. But in the very same verse and in the following verse, clearly speaking to the same group, Paul uses the image of a shepherd, speaking of the people of God as a flock. This image of an elder is where we get our word pastor, which comes from the Latin word for shepherd. So Paul addresses this group of elders, overseers, and pastors. But we need to note that this is all the same group of people. Paul is using these words and images here interchangeably, just as he does in his epistles. These words collectively give us insight into the roles and functions of those who are called to this one office. And we need to take note of that as we push into what this office entails. Now, one last thing to note before we look at detail at Paul's address. Even though Paul's words are directed to the elders, this speech is important for all of us. All of us. Those of us who have been called to the office of elder, but also to those who have not been called to this office. These words are important because the church of Jesus Christ needs to understand what the biblical model for leadership is. Not just the structure of leadership, a plurality of elders, not just the qualification of leadership as listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We also need to understand what the Bible says is the content of this leadership. So what Paul says here will help us to know not only what to look for in an elder, but what to expect from an elder. What does God require of elders? We all need to know this. And those of us who are elders need to be reminded of these things. And this is particularly important because more than likely, a church will only be as strong as its leadership. If you have weak elders who are not in a biblical manner leading, guiding, preaching, teaching, correcting, protecting, who are not disciplining and discipling, who are not exercising biblical wisdom and discernment, then the church itself will be weak. It isn't just about having biblically qualified leaders, men who exhibit the virtues given to us in 1 Timothy and Titus. It's also about having men who are willing to lead according to the example, the model given to us in Scripture. So we should all want to hear what Paul has to say to the elders here. And it's in God's good providence that we have arrived at this passage as we begin our process of officer nomination for this next year. So let's look at Paul's address to the elders. In order to do this, we're going to divide Paul's speech into two parts. 
which is going to help us to see the vision of biblical leadership being communicated here. As Reformed pastor and author Kevin DeYoung notes, Paul is giving the elders of Ephesus first the pattern of Christian ministry. And second, the priorities of Christian ministry. So first, the pattern of Christian ministry. Second, the priorities of Christian ministry. So first, we have the pattern of Christian ministry that church leaders are to follow. And this pattern was given after the very example that the Apostle Paul himself had set for them. Paul was never bashful to encourage people to follow after his own example. As Paul instructed the church in Philippi, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And here, Paul told the elders, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Now, Paul reminded the elders that he had been totally committed to the community of Christ. And he reminded them of this by presenting to them the how, what, where, to whom, and to what end his ministry had been directed. We find this pattern of ministry here in verses 18 through 21 as Paul encouraged the elders to follow after it. So let's take a look at the pattern. The how. Verse 19, Paul says that while he was with them, he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. So how is Christian ministry to be done? How is Christian ministry to be done? It's to be done in the way of Jesus Christ. Paul can point us to his example and encourage us to follow after it because it follows after the example of Jesus Christ himself. Paul urged the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And what is the example of Christ? Humility. Paul exhorted the church in Philippi, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus came laying aside all that was his to become a servant for the sake of loving others. God's heart was broken over the lost people of this world. So in Jesus Christ, God condescended to us. And Jesus, becoming man, laid aside his power. He laid aside his privilege and he became poor like those he ministered to. He shared in their weakness. He sympathized with them. He rejoiced with them and he mourned with them. He did this to serve them even when those he came to serve despised him. The ministry of the church must be done in the same humility. Ministry is not self-seeking. It is not self-serving, it is selfless, and it is meek. That is the how of ministry. Next, Paul gives us the what of Christian ministry in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you. Paul has not only been totally committed to the Christian community, he has been totally committed to declaring and teaching to them God's word. Christian ministry is nothing, it is nothing if it is not totally committed to God's word. 
The power of Christian ministry is in the power of God's word to save, to convert, and to bring about new life, to correct, to rebuke, to encourage, to sanctify believers. Paul's ministry has been totally committed to God's word. God's word must be declared and taught. And where is Christian ministry to be done? Look at the rest of verse 20. Where was Paul's ministering occurring? It had been done in public and from house to house. Ministry occurs in the public and private realms. There is no sphere of living in which ministry shouldn't be happening. Ministry is adapted to context, as we have seen in Paul as he has moved from place to place. But as Paul noted here, there shouldn't be a context in which we are unwilling to minister. Elders should not shrink, as Paul puts it, from declaring and teaching God's word everywhere and anywhere. And to whom is Christian ministry directed? Verse 21, Paul recounted that he had testified both to Jews and to Greeks. There is nowhere that ministry, Christian ministry shouldn't be happening, and there is no one who should be excluded from our ministry. There are no limitations on who we extend the gospel invitation to. There shouldn't be anyone who is not invited and called to repent and believe. Religious background shouldn't matter. Political affiliation shouldn't matter. Socioeconomic position shouldn't matter. Nationality shouldn't matter. Skin color shouldn't matter. The instruction that Jesus gave to his followers was to take the gospel to every tribe, nation, people group. Take the gospel to all peoples. Finally, Paul noted in verse 21, the end that we are to be aiming at in our ministry. So what is that end? He says, repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of our ministry is to call people to repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Our desire is for people to move from death to life in Jesus Christ. And then to move from immature faith to maturity in Jesus Christ. So this is the pattern of ministry that Paul had set before them as an example. Elders should understand the how, what, where, to whom, and to what end ministry is directed. And they should be seeking to pattern their own ministry in this way. It's a humble ministry that seeks to sympathize with others. It's a a ministry that declares and teaches God's word to everyone who is willing to listen in all places for the sake of calling and leading others to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, after giving them the pattern of ministry, next Paul gave the elders some priorities for their ministry. He gave them some priorities, and we can note here four priorities which Paul exhorted the elders to model in their ministries. The first priority we find is in verses 23 and 24. Paul has noted that he has not shrunk from declaring and teaching God's word, and now he adds that this even includes when it comes at a great personal cost to himself. An elder must not shrink from suffering For the sake of the gospel, this is the first priority. 
Paul knew that everywhere he did ministry, there was a possibility of persecution. He was not unaware that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him, as he says in verse 23. But being totally committed to the Christian community and totally committed to God's word meant for Paul being committed to the point of recognizing that his life His very life was not as important as his ministry. The value of the message of the cross of Jesus Christ was greater than the cost of carrying the cross. He states, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Being an elder in the church requires not shrinking back from declaring and teaching the word of God even even in the face of the consequences that may come as a result of taking a stand for the gospel. The ministry of the gospel for the elder must be greater, a greater priority than pursuing life itself. This means that for an elder, the greatest priority isn't of popularity or social standing. It, it isn't the pursuit of power. It isn't the pursuit of wealth. It isn't even the pursuit of staying alive. The most important thing is giving witness and testimony to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So an elder must not shrink from the suffering that comes as a result of the gospel. Now, we might think to ourselves, well, thankfully, thankfully there isn't a whole lot of suffering that happens on account of the gospel in the United States, right? There there might be some social ostracism. There there might be some slander that we have to endure. But but all in all, elders here don't really have to worry about the cost being all that high, right? But don't let a lack of overt persecution cause us to fail to properly consider how an elder in an American church will still be called to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Stop and think about all that might cause one to suffer in ministering the gospel and how we might seek to avoid that suffering. It might be avoiding a hard situation, suffering with others through their personal difficulty. It might be avoiding a a hard conversation in which someone needs to be called to account for their behavior. It, It might be avoiding taking a hard stand on a matter, fearing that people might be offended. It might just be avoiding hard people, people who we don't really have a particular connection to or people who are simply difficult to be around because of their personality or disposition. These are all ways, these are all ways that leaders might shrink back from suffering. Scenarios that are far more likely to come in the church in our context, but Paul encouraged the elders not to shrink back from any suffering. And we need to see here what Paul was stressing in this priority. Our our life is not as precious in comparison to gospel ministry. As Kevin DeYoung noted, it isn't about the path of least pain. It's not about the path of least pain, but the pathway of greatest glory for God. 
And so Paul wanted these elders to understand that the church of Jesus Christ is weakened when those in positions of leadership are unwilling to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And this leads us nicely into the second priority of the elder, which we find in verse 27. So Paul encouraged the elders to do as he had done, not shrinking from declaring the whole counsel of God. So elders are not to shrink back from suffering, nor are they to shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Why is that important? Well, it's important because the church needs to hear the whole story of God. They need to understand who God is as he has revealed himself to us, not just a a piece of who God is, not just a, a piece of the story of redemption. They need to hear God's full revelation. And it's also important because all, all of the scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Encouragement to declare the whole counsel of God's word is important because we will be tempted to avoid those places in God's word that we find difficult to swallow. We could easily spend all of our time in places that we all can agree on. We could spend all of our time on those passages that we find to be encouraging. But what about those passages in which God's word demonstrates itself to be sharper than a two-edged sword? What about those passages that are particularly piercing? What about those places that are intensely penetrating and painful? Those verses that touch us in vulnerable and raw spots in our souls. Paul urged the elders here not to avoid the hard passages. They must be declared. It is seriously important. The souls of those entrusted to their care are at risk. This is why Paul stated in verse 26 that he was innocent of the blood of all. Paul is using here imagery from Ezekiel 33. In Ezekiel 33, God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, telling him that his job was of a watchman. And to warn those under his watch of coming threats. If the watchman sees and alerts people, then the people should heed the warning and act in ways to be saved. If the people do not listen and respond, though, then their blood is on their own heads. But if the watchman does not warn the people of their impending doom, if he does not declare to them that danger is coming, then their blood is on his head. And God was telling Ezekiel that he was as a watchman. His role was to declare everything that the Lord had spoken to him. Paul here stated that the elder has the same responsibility. Elders are to declare all that God has spoken, not only the nice things. They are also to provide necessary warning of God's coming judgment. They are to sound the alarm about God's wrath and urge people to flee to Christ in faith for safety. And God will hold them accountable for their proclamation. God will not take lightly if those who have been placed in positions of being watchmen have failed to give proper warning to those under their care. Therefore, elders have to be willing to call others to account, to call on the member who has not been availing himself or herself to the means of grace and worship and the sacraments, 
to call on the husband who has not been loving his wife well, to call on the, the father who has not been discipling and disciplining his children, to call on the business person who has dealt in shady practices, to call on the individual who has made a habit of gossiping. And sometimes these are, these are hard conversations. And sometimes these hard conversations are received in a humble and submissive way. Sometimes these hard conversations are not received. They are met with hardened hearts and deaf ears because sometimes even those who claim the name of Jesus Christ respond to correction by attacking the brother who has come to point the offender to the word of God and to God's grace. Loving words of correction are met with accusation that the one bringing these words is arrogant and self-righteous and judgmental and hypocritical. Dearly beloved, I, I want to plead with you I want to plead with you that if an elder from this church comes to you and calls you to account, do not attack him. Do not attack him. Hear him. Search your heart. Submit to God's word. I understand that words of correction are painful to hear, but they are necessary because we all sin, which means we all need correction at times. We need to remember the wisdom of Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But elders have to be willing to deliver these faithful words. Elders then can't just proclaim the easy things of Scripture. They must also be willing to declare the difficult things. And dearly beloved, we should all desire elders who do not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. We should seek to call these individuals to the office of elder and also to submit ourselves to their oversight in their ministry. Elders must be willing to suffer affliction. Elders must be willing to declare the whole counsel of God. Elders must also keep watch. This is a third priority. Look at verse 28. Paul tells the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. They must keep watch over themselves. No one can lead other, others well if his own life is out of order. If the elder is to teach the whole counsel of God and hold others accountable to it, then he must be studying it himself and submitting himself to it. If an elder is to lead others in righteousness, then he must have committed himself to it first. If an elder is to call others to godly marriage and parenting, then he must be seeking to ensure that he is loving and leading his own family well. Now, Paul is asking them here, how is your personal devotion to the Lord? How is your prayer life? How is your commitment to God's word? How is your marriage? How is your parenting? How are your business practices? Do you struggle with lust? With greed? With anger? Others are watching you, elders, for example. They are looking to your leadership. And if you elders are lacking in discipline, then so too will those under your care. And if you elders are soft on sin, then so too will be those under your care. Don't be asleep at the wheel. So pay careful attention to yourselves. And then Paul instructed, and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to the care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
Paul instructed the elders to pastor, to shepherd the flock of God entrusted to their care. A flock which had been purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ. To which all elders have been made under shepherds. What does a shepherd do? Think of Psalm 23. A shepherd tends his flock, leading, feeding, protecting, preserving. This is the image that we have of God as our shepherd in Psalm 23, right? And a shepherd knows his sheep, their strengths, their weaknesses, their likes, their dislikes. He knows their personalities and he guides them as both a group and as individuals. And again, note that this isn't just the role of the ordained clergy. All elders, all elders are called to the role of pastoring, the role of shepherding. Shepherds have to be tough and tender because sometimes it's gently guiding the sheep along the still waters. Sometimes it's seeking out the lost sheep and carrying them back into the fold. Sometimes it is beating off the beast that comes looking to devour. And Paul specifically notes here that a shepherd's role is to protect. Verse 29 in following, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. We often think that the threats to the church are coming from the outside, from those who hate the church, who desire for the church to be silenced. But it isn't just threats from the outside that the elders must be attentive to. It is threats from the inside as well. And sometimes these are the most pernicious because they are so subtle, because they are threatening to divide the body. And we know from the New Testament epistles that the church faced false teachers who slipped into the church seeking to lead others astray. So too does the church today. So elders must keep a close watch over their own doctrine, which means they need to know doctrine. They need to be able to discern between what is orthodox, right belief, and what is not. But they must also keep a close watch over the doctrine within the walls of their church not allowing any false teaching to creep in, which means they need to know the doctrines being embraced within their walls. Fourth and final priority for elder is to be willing to give and to work for the sake of ministry. Verses 33 and following, Paul reminded the Ephesian elders that he did not come seeking to benefit himself. But he worked diligently on behalf of the community, especially for the sake of caring for the weak. The office of elder isn't about what can be received. It isn't about what kind of honor I can get or what sort of prominence I can get or what sort of power I can get. It's about hard work. The hard work of devotion. Devotion to being there to care for God's flock, to lead and guide, to help bear the burdens of others, to being willing to get down in the ditch with someone who is in need to help them out of it. It's about giving not just financial resources, but time, time, energy, creativity, wisdom, spiritual gifts. 
An elder must be willing to give freely of himself, to share his life with others for the sake of the gospel. Dearly beloved, I want to assert, as I conclude this morning, I want to assert as strongly as I can, the vision for leadership that Paul presents to us here in Acts 20 is the church that we want to be at covenant. This is what Paul commends them to do and to be in this final farewell, given through tears and prayer. The reality is that this church in any church is only as strong as its leaders. And it is hugely important that we take our vision of church leadership from Scripture. And it isn't one in which the elders are simply an executive committee who act as some kind of board of directors for the church as though it was a business. The task of the elders is not simply to meet once a month to look at the budget and make administrative decisions. The biblical vision is of shepherd leaders tasked with the work of ministry, preaching and teaching the word of God, protecting the church from false doctrine, willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And beloved, when you think of elders here at Covenant Presbyterian, I don't want you to think of businessmen. Amen? I want you to think of shepherds. I want you to think of shepherds who know you by name. Who know you by name, who care about you, who are committed to seeing you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are eager to hold out the word of life to you who desire for this community to be built up and equipped as Christ's body. And may God, by his Holy Spirit, help us to live out this vision. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, for the life and the witness of the Apostle Paul. We thank you that he poured out his, his life as a, as a sacrifice for others, that they might come to know the Lord Jesus, that they might repent of their sins and turn to Christ to find life. And Lord, we pray that as we read this final farewell to the Ephesian elders, Lord, that, that you would give us this vision that Paul has modeled so well for us. Lord, that we would desire leaders in this congregation who are shepherds, who know us, who love us, who care for us, are committed to the word of God, the whole counsel of God. Lord, who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord, help us to be that church. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In response... To the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe together using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe?